0: This is the Rick Edelman show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number 1 independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, sitting in for Rick, here's Isabel Barrow.
1: Welcome to the Rick Edelman show this weekend. I'm Isabel Barrow in for Rick and Jean they'll be back next week. And if you haven't heard me on the show before, I'm one of the many advisors here at Edelman Financial Engines. You can reach us at 888-PLAN-RICK or at rickedelman.com. And of course, if you have a question for Rick, why not make a recording of your question on your smartphone or device and send it to us at askrick at rickedelman.com. Well, it's been a hard week around the world with... The daily reports on the unfolding situation in Afghanistan, the earthquake and then subsequent flooding in Haiti, the ongoing evolving situation here with covid and the Delta variant. Our hearts go out to those who are suffering here and abroad. And here in the U.S., it's been a mixed bag in terms of the government response and the effect of the new variant on our economy. And the U.S. markets had some volatility this week because of it. The S&P 500 and the Dow closed at records again, but investors are concerned about the spread of the Delta variant and the potential this has to slow down the economic rebound. The Commerce Department data that was released this past Tuesday showed that spending at U.S. retailers was down by about 1.1 percent in July from the prior month, and that was more than what they were expecting. But as it relates to the longer term trends, America is still on pace to exceed pre-pandemic levels of spending, according to MasterCard. They say that U.S. consumers are ready and willing to spend more now than they were before COVID. The gross dollar volume increased almost 34% year over year in the U.S. to about $620 billion worth of consumer spending. But what's really telling is that that is up 27% from the same quarter in 2019. Yes, I'm saying people are spending now more than they were even before the pandemic. Now, clearly, stimulus and high level of savings left over from last year are playing a role, but it's also increased consumer confidence. What we're spending our money on has shifted also. Last 12 to 18 months, you know, money was being spent on non discretionary categories, things like groceries, utilities. But we've seen a big shift towards discretionary categories like travel, restaurants, hotels. Meanwhile, and what might be a surprise to those of us who have been predicting the demise of malls in this country, malls have bounced back far more quickly than what was expected. But The rebound is uneven in terms of what type of malls are doing well. And is it only a temporary shift back to mall shopping? You know, pent up demand, essentially. The nation's largest mall operator, Simon Property Group, they just reported earnings that easily beat what Wall Street had forecast. And they also topped the second quarter of 2019 earnings. Retail Properties of America, another mall owner, just reported earnings per share that also topped their 2019 earnings. When malls shut down in 2020, some of the anchor tenants, those are J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, well, they filed for bankruptcy and they closed a lot of their stores permanently. There were also bankruptcies within the mall operators themselves. So this return to mall shopping more recently does show some positive trends short term, but clearly there are negative long term trends continuing. Consumer spending is robust now because of pent up demand. But will it last? And like I said, it's been an uneven recovery within malls, higher end malls versus weaker quality malls and the continued shift in people's shopping habits away from malls to online. I mean, how often do you really buy online from Amazon, Walmart, Target versus go to a mall and buy something there? And some potentially lasting new problems for malls are shipped away from blockbuster movies being released in the theaters. A lot of malls are somewhat, you could say, anchored by the movie theater within the mall. And they rely on that foot traffic of the moviegoers who are now, in many cases, just skipping the theater altogether and watching the new release from the comfort of their own sofa. Movie theaters are still far below pre-pandemic levels of traffic. And with the new variants of COVID potentially influencing more cautious behavior from the shoppers, there are some signs that the mall foot traffic is, is being affected. But in general, the higher end, more modern malls, the ones with fancy restaurants, luxury good shops, the ones that are usually located in the very affluent neighborhoods, well, those malls are doing very well. But it's the mid-tier and lower-end malls that are still having issues collecting rent. And those are properties that are often in the middle or or lower-income neighborhoods. Simon Property Group, which is the largest U.S. mall owner, has actually been giving back some of their poor-performing properties to their lenders. But even so, the number of malls in the U.S. isn't shrinking as fast as analysts had expected. But it's because of the high-end malls that are not only doing well, but growing. And it's another symbol of the K-shaped recovery. The ones who can afford to shop at the high-end malls are, and the ones who would normally be shopping at the lower-end malls have less money to do so and go back to the stores. So malls may not be dead quite yet, but online shopping will still be the way of the future for most. And there is one young person who has built his business using completely online selling. A 16-year-old high school student whose name is Max Hayden. Well, he's from Hopewell, New Jersey. He brought in nearly $2 million in revenue selling video game consoles, above-ground pools on Amazon during the pandemic. Well, his business plan was to resell items on Amazon along with other marketplaces. And in doing so, he was able to generate six-figure profits for himself. Well, he had enough thought and foresight to target products that he thought would be in high demand and short supply, like above-ground swimming pools in the summer. And then things like patio heaters last fall, I tried to buy both of these things and couldn't do so. So I know exactly what he was thinking and he was right. And he is clear that he never focused on pandemic necessities. It was just those like to have types of things. Uh, Max, who is a high school senior, he sold more than $1.7 million worth of products on Amazon Marketplace in 2020 alone. So after accounting for all of his costs, he turned a profit of roughly $110,000. Now, last year, he registered his business and he is now a 16-year-old CEO. I hope he's saving some of that money for retirement. And speaking of retirement, a lot of people before they retire um, neglect to think about how much they'll be able to afford or spend each month or what to do about Social Security and Medicare, how to leave their family protected. But I can tell you from my almost 20 years of experience meeting with new clients that people also don't know to ask about some of the other key things like, what should my withdrawal strategy be? How much should I budget for long term care or for healthcare expenses? How should my investment strategy change when I'm taking income off of it to live? And that's why you should call 888-PLAN-RICK to get a free retirement review and financial plan from an Edelman Financial Engines planner. You'll meet with an experienced fiduciary planner who will give you an objective answer to the questions you have about retirement and the ones that you didn't even know you needed to ask. Your planner will look at your current investments and tell you how you should be invested for this particular stage of your life, pre-retirement, post-retirement, any other stage, You'll also get a personalized financial plan, and that plan alone is an $800 value. It includes your own retirement plan of action, an estimate of your Social Security benefits, portfolio recommendations, and the next steps you can take for your financial future and the rest of your life. Call 888-PLAN-RICK by 10 p.m. this coming Tuesday or sign up at edelmanfinancialengines.com for your free retirement review and personalized financial plan. Well, we've been talking about the uneven spending at high-end malls across the country versus the mid-tier and lower-end malls. And while Americans added nearly $4 trillion to their savings during the COVID pandemic, most of those gains went to the wealthy. Stimulus checks, rising stock market, less spending all led to a massive savings boom over the past year. But 70 percent of that gain was from the wealthiest 20 percent of Americans and excess savings or savings above and beyond the normal pre pandemic growth level. That was even more skewed to the top where 42 percent went to the top one percent. While households in the bottom income levels saved less than expected. And this could have negative implications for the economy. A recent study found that about $360 billion of savings will be spent over the next year and a half. But the savings are so top heavy, the vast majority of the spending is going to be on things like the high end restaurants, resorts, fashion, jewelry, wine and other similar businesses that are focusing on that affluent market versus the mass market. The wealthy also are typically spending a smaller share of their savings on consumption, meaning overall spending in the coming months from savings could fall short of projections. Well, in what's a potential break for parents with older children, the White House announced that student loan payments pause has been now extended all the way through January 31st. And they announced this just weeks before that pause was set to expire before the end of September. But they have said that this is going to be the, quote, final extension. The federal student loan payment moratorium began in March of 2020. The CARES Act then paused payments through September of 2020 and kept interest rates at 0% for about 42 million federal borrowers. So if you have student loans or you have a child or grandchild with one, now is the time to hurry up with those payments and pay them down as all of your payment will currently be going to principal. I'm Isabel Barrow, in for Rick today. Stay with us for more on The Rick Edelman Show. We're at 888 plan Rick. That's 888 or reach us at rickedelman.com.
0: More with the author of the number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
1: Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. I'm Isabel Barrow. And for Rick and Jean today, A plan rick rickedelman.com. Well, in yet another flip-flop in this evolving pandemic economy, apartment rents are rising fast as young professionals are returning to the cities and the on-fire housing market is keeping many of them uh, renting versus buying. The index that tracks publicly traded apartment companies is up 42% since January of this year, and the median rent has risen more than 10% over the past year, up to more than $1,200. In nearly every major metro area, rents are now much higher than they were a year ago. And in part, that is due to the real estate boom. In Atlanta, for example, home prices have risen more than 25% in the last year, pushing more people to rent for longer periods of time. And while real estate and the rental market have recovered, there are still challenges in other areas of the economy that could affect the supply chain, such as railroads. America's freight railroads are struggling to bring back and get new workers. And that's contributing to a slowdown in the movement of chemicals, fertilizers, industrial products in general. And this slowdown is in getting the supply products to where they are intended And it poses a risk of disruption to factory operations. And these labor shortages have the potential to create potentially widespread bottlenecks in the supply chain. Uh, During 2020, railroad operators had furloughed thousands of workers and they took hundreds of trains offline. Prior to 2020, major railroads were already looking into streamlining their operations and running fewer trains with more cars. And so those changes that had already been made resulted in fewer workers. And now it's just been compounded. And shippers have begun to notice the slowdown as well. The American Chemistry Council said that Rail cars were waiting at the shipping yards for more than a week and travel times for some routes had more than doubled, which is, of course, leaving factories to be forced to close because of the lack of materials and and otherwise is slowing production. Now railroad operators are saying that they have ramped up hiring. However, across freight rail network, railroads reported 47,000 transportation employees in June, which was down from about 51,000 employees in March of 2020. And the weather isn't helping with the supply chain dynamics either. There's been flooding across parts of Western Europe and China that is adding to delays in the global supply chain. Germany, Austria, and Belgium all have been dealing with devastating floods over the last few months. And in China, one city got nearly a year's worth of rainfall in just a couple of days. And these floods have damaged railway lines used there to deliver goods. And so for us in the U.S., the implications of this could be the increase in the cost of these imported products. Well, and this could be threatening those Black Friday deals. I know you're not thinking about it yet, but certainly the producers are because these delays and issues could cause retailers to raise prices to cover those extra costs for products like electronics, furniture, appliances and even clothing. And while we're on the topic of weather, the official hurricane season started June 1st, and it will run through November 30th. Are you living in an area where you have the potential for severe weather to impact or damage your home or property? And if so, when's the last time you did a full review of your homeowner's insurance? Because now might be a good time to check your homeowner's insurance and see how you're covered in the event of severe weather. On top of the increasing frequency and intensity of major storms, the cost of repairing or potentially even replacing your home may be a lot more than you realize. So be sure your homeowner's policy is sufficient to cover the cost of rebuilding your home. Standard policies typically exclude flooding from coverage and also typically have separate deductibles that'll kick in when there's weather-related damage. And in the U.S., according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, there were 22 separate billion dollar weather and climate disaster events in 2020. And depending on where you live and what kind of weather events your area is typically affected by, your homeowners policy may provide coverage for some of the more location specific events. But check your current replacement cost. Is it enough given the current cost to rebuild? Standard policies typically will repair or replace your home up to the amount that it's insured for, but some weather-related events fall under a different part that comes with a different deductible. And so you need to be clear on what that deductible is so you can plan your cash reserves accordingly or potentially just make changes to your policy. Like if you're in the East Coast or the Gulf of Mexico, you'll have a hurricane deductible most likely. Likewise, in in states that are prone to wind events like tornadoes, you may have a wind deductible. And if you're in California or another area that's prone to earthquakes, you might have to purchase a separate insurance for that. What about flooding? You know, homeowners policies generally exclude flooding from coverage. And according to FEMA, one inch of water in your home can cause up to twenty five thousand dollars worth of damage. So for coverage, you'd also need a separate flood insurance, either through the Federal National Flood Insurance Program or through a private insurer. The bottom line is that everyone should revisit their insurance coverage. Is your replacement value enough to reflect the higher current cost to build? Is your umbrella insurance sufficient? And what's the experience you get from your insurance agent when you talk to them about increasing your coverage? And if you're not getting a good feel, if it's not a good situation, well, what's going to happen if you have to face a claim down the road? It's best to work with an independent agent in general who writes policies for a number of different insurance companies. They just typically have better access to the insurers and can help on your behalf when you're dealing with a claim. And while we're on the subject of insurance, Let's talk about health insurance as well. As it relates to the vaccine, there may be an economic incentive to get it because getting hospitalized with COVID in the U.S. is typically generating huge bills. A patient in Marietta, Georgia, got a $17,000 bill for a brief stay. Another uninsured man in Miami got a $104,000 bill for a 14-day hospitalization. In 2020, before COVID vaccines, most private insurers were weaving patient payments from co-insurance to deductibles for COVID treatment. But... Many, if not most, have allowed that policy to lapse. Edna ended it in February, and United Healthcare began rolling back waivers last year, and they were completely done by March. And now insurers could try to do more, like penalizing the unvaccinated, but it's not just COVID exclusions or penalties. There is a precedent. Some policies won't cover treatments that are necessitated by what insurance companies deem risky behavior, like scuba diving or rock climbing. Insurers are allowed to charge smokers up to 50% more than non-smokers. And in 49 states, people that are caught driving without auto insurance face fines. They could lose their license or even have their car confiscated and maybe even jail. And reckless drivers pay more for insurance as well. Considering insurance coverage should be discussed as part of an overall comprehensive financial plan. And if you don't have a financial plan, why not? What's holding you back? For now, at least, the initial fee or cost shouldn't be a concern as we have a special offer to get you started between now and Tuesday at 10 p.m. Give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK and get a free retirement review and financial plan from an Edelman Financial Engines Planner. You'll speak with an experienced fiduciary planner who's going to be able to give you objective advice and answers to your questions. Your planner can look at your current investments, tell you how you should be invested for this stage of your life or the next stage of your life on an ongoing basis. And you'll also get a personal financial plan. And the plan alone is worth $800 and it includes your own retirement plan of action, an estimate of your social security benefits, portfolio recommendations, and the next steps that you can take for your financial future and for the rest of your life. So again, call 888-PLAN-RICK between now and 10 p.m. on Tuesday or sign up at edelmanfinancialengines.com for your free retirement review and personal financial plan. I'm Isabel Barrow in for Rick and Jean today. Give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK or you can reach us at rickedelman.com.
0: The publisher of the newsletter Inside Personal Finance, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show.
1: back to the Rick Edelman Show. I'm Isabel Barrow, in for Rick today, and we're going to the phones. We'll be talking with Pete in Patchogue, New York. Pete, what can we do for you?
2: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I had a question regarding insurance. I know it's important for financial planning to have all the right insurances in place, and one of the types of insurance that I previously tried to get was a short-term disability policy. And because of some of my past medical histories, previous surgeries, I was denied because didn't really get through the underwriting process. And so I would say because of my past medical history, I am at greater than average risk for having some kind of uh, prolonged medical absence. And so if you had any advice on how to navigate uh what I should do. I mean, I can tell you what I've been doing, okay. is saving a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. And so I figured that was a good way to do it. Have a, And mostly in investing. So I'm not just parking it in cash. So I've been a good saver. Okay. But, uh, other than that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Boy, Pete, this is a tough one. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you're struggling with some medical stuff. So I, I guess a couple of questions and then maybe clarifiers for those listening who are uh, wondering what we're talking about here. So basically, what you're talking about is short term disability, which would cover you in the event that you are unable to work for some period of time, uh, because of some medical condition, and uh, would basically make up the lost income, right? And in in this case, what you're finding is that going out and trying to buy a policy on your own, well, they're looking you and saying, we don't we don't want to take that risk. We think that there's too high of a likelihood that you're going to use this, which of course is the point of the insurance. Right. And, uh, so they say, sorry, we're just, we're, we're not going to cover you. So I think that that, it sounds like that's been your experienced. Now, do you work for an employer that has a group plan or a group offering?
2: I had looked into that and it was, it was, it's very hard to navigate. I wasn't able to. I actually am the teacher in New York State. And so I know there is something. Um, but I guess what got me from pulling the trigger was I also look at how much sick time I have. Mm-hmm. And I have probably like a year's worth of sick time because I've been teaching a while.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I was trying to factor in if I do. Uh, somehow get in touch and uh, get a policy to be accepted, would I factor in the amount of sick time I have in the type of policy that I would get?
1: Well, you know,
2: that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I think I think it would. But that doesn't mean that you should turn down a group short term disability that your employer may offer. Because you may get sick, but not be on disability. You know, you may get sick for a week here or there. It may not be an actual disability or what's considered a disability. And so our advice would be to not only get short term, but also potentially long term disability. So that's, you know, after the 90 days, essentially. And and backing up a little bit many employers offer full-time employees either a group short and or a long-term disability coverage. And those benefits are frequently employer paid or maybe subsidized. So it's not as much out of your own pocket. And you can enroll with with little to no health underwriting. So it's a great opportunity for those who are working, but have, you know, pre-existing conditions. You may be able to still get a policy with a pre-existing condition, but in most cases, that pre-existing condition itself is going to be excluded. So, you know, if you have a, a back problem or a neck problem, the policy that you've purchased might pay a benefit for everything that relates to disability other than your back or neck. Um, so the definition of, of disability is, a, is a, an important part of each policy. If you are buying it privately, it needs to state that it is your own occupation and not any occupation and what that means is that you qualify for benefits if you cannot perform the duties of your job so if you you know if you couldn't teach for example, if it was any occupation, you'd have to prove that you couldn't do anything essentially and that's that's um, you know that's certainly not going to be as as beneficial. But in your case, I think that you have so a couple things going on. one, you've got sick leave that could cover you in the event that something happened you know that was very short. Um, but you should also consider short and long term disability to cover you for things that may actually be a disability. and if it's available through your employer, that's going to be a cheaper and better way for you given that you have pre-existing conditions. I mean the problem with it is of course it's not portable. So if you leave that employer, you can't bring that policy with you to the next employer. You know, if you retired from this job and went to another job that was part-time work or that didn't have a disability plan. So that's certainly a downside, but if you're planning on staying in this occupation or this role at you know with the state of, I think you said state of New York teachers, then you know the disability policy should stay with you for as long as you're there.
2: Oh, that's that sounds like uh, the next phone call I'll make. <laughs> I guess this is an extension of like the estate planning. If I'm saving a lot of assets, which I've been and I am high risk for long term care, would it make sense that I look into some kind of trust, like an irrevocable uh, trust or something like that? If I don't want my significant other to, I don't want the assets to be depleted for long term nursing and things like that. Is that something I should look into?
1: You're kind of switching gears here. And I don't know that like long term or short term disability would fall into the category of estate planning. But now I think what you're talking about is all right, well, you know, because of the fact that I have some pre existing conditions. I, I think I'm more likely to need to uh, use long term care at some point in my life. And long term care is exorbitantly expensive to pay for. So if I am saving all of this money and, you know, I've done a good job with my financial planning, well, now all of a sudden, if I go into a long term care facility, I'm worried that I spend down all of my assets and my significant other is left with um, with nothing. Now, is you're you are you unmarried?
2: I am, but I think that's going to change very soon.
1: Okay, well, yeah, that may yeah, that may make a difference as it relates to your benefits and also as it relates to just your partner or spouse's, if you're married, rights as it relates to your home and Medicaid and et cetera. So, you know, even if you were to spend down all of your assets, um, if you have a home that you share with a spouse that home can't be used against you as it relates to your Medicare, a uh, Medicaid eligibility. If you became destitute and you spent all of your money on long-term care and all of a sudden Medicaid has to pay, uh, because that is what happens for many people who use all of their money paying for their long-term care. So if you are married, you wouldn't have to worry about your significant other getting kicked out of the house if it was your house. Um, if you are unmarried and the house is in your name and they're just essentially considered a, a, uh, a renter, I guess, um, or just a, you know, somebody with no ownership rights over the home, that could pose a problem for the two of you. So while I don't, you know, I think the two questions are are, are different. They are important ones, both. And my advice would be if you're concerned about your and your partner's status and as it relates to your assets and their rights and um, how they're going to be cared for if you're not around then talking to both a financial planner and an estate attorney are two really important components. And just as an aside, although your disability or your pre-existing medical conditions might make it harder for you to get traditional long-term care insurance, There are other options out there like hybrid policies that might be easier to get and would still give you some protection or really in this case, your significant other or maybe soon to be spouse protection in the event um, that you do need to go into a long term care facility and it costs a good amount of money. So uh, again, I advise you to talk to a financial planner. I think it's time and an estate attorney to make sure that your legal documents are in place and that that your partner is protected.
2: All right. Sounds good.
1: Okay, Pete. Well, listen, thank you so much for your call. It's a good one. Lots of little offshoots here of important things to think about. So thanks for your call, Pete, and have a great day.
2: You too. Thank you.
1: That was Pete in Patchogue, New York. You're on with Isabel on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com.
0: With the author of the 2008 Personal Finance Book of the Year, "The Lies About Money," coming up on the Rick Edelman Show.
1: You're listening to Isabel Barrow on the Rick Edelman Show. Triple Eight Plan, Rick. And we're taking a call from Dan in Perry, Iowa. Dan, what's your question?
3: Well, I'm 61 years old, getting ready for retirement. I am a state worker, and my retirement is with this TIAA Cref retirement. I don't know how familiar you are with that. Yep. And right now, I have my money basically in three spots mm-hmm. one is the stock one is in real estate, and then some in a guaranteed income. I got that split up at like 40%, 40%, and 10% with what I contribute. Okay. I've heard on the show that Rick says to kind of split your money up, don't have it in one spot. Most of my money is in the stocks. I would like to have some advice to split this money up before I retire. Got it. I'd still like to make some money but I really don't need to be that chancy with it.
1: Got it. These are really good questions. And absolutely, we would want to look at how to diversify this. But just a couple of things that I'd like to clarify. So you said you're getting close to retirement. Um, What does that mean? How, How close are you?
3: Well, like I said, I'm 61. A lot of it depends on insurance. That's I'd have retired already if it wasn't if insurance wasn't so doggone high.
1: You mean medical insurance? Uh, yes. Is there an option for retiree medical through your employer or would you be out buying you know a private policy on your own?
3: As of right now I'd have to go out and buy one on my own. Ah. I just I just missed out. Last year some state employees got three years of insurance paid mm-hmm. if they wanted to retire. I still wouldn't get sixty-five in three years yet. So, if they offer something like this again next year, yeah, probably take them up on it.
1: Right. So then you'd be sixty-two. So if you got three years, you get you know you get through to Medicare eligibility, which is age sixty-five. So your question is an important one, and I think you know also this retirement date is an important factor here as well because if you do retire now at sixty-one and you have let's say in this case, four years of paying for medical out of pocket, that could eat away out of a lot of your income sources and potentially cause you to need to draw money out of this TIA-CREF program. Now, the TIA-CREF program that you are talking about, the retirement plan, you know, I think for most, you're not familiar with TIA-CREF. I mean, it's in essence a 401k plan, right? But even though perhaps the underlying holdings within the plan are different than what you might have in another 401k plan, in essence, it's a pre-tax retirement plan from which you make contributions. You spread the money around different areas that are offered, whatever the plan designates you're allowed to put your money into, which could be a variety of funds within Tia Craft for if it was a... Fidelity or Vanguard plan, they would have their own funds that you could invest in. But bottom line is, it's pre-tax, you're putting money toward retirement, and at some point you're going to be taking it out. Now, if we theorize that you wait all the way until you're 65 to retire because of the healthcare coverage gap that you're facing, but let's understand what you have saved within the plan and any other IRAs or assets or cash reserve that you have. And how much of that you're going to be able to use to fund this retirement that is around the corner. Now, do you have any pensions or are you expecting to receive Social Security in addition to your TIA cref account?
3: Yes, I am expecting to do Social Security, and I even have just a smidgen of Vipers. Mm -hmm. It'll end up being about $100 a month, pretty small.
1: Yeah, and you certainly Uh, want to wait on Social Security until you're at least retired. In your case, you're not eligible yet. You have to be 62, but if you're working and you're 62 not a good idea to start drawing for most in most cases, you know, if you're a person in good health and you don't need the money because you're employed, wait until at least you've retired, if not longer, because the longer you wait, the more you get. So if you retired at 65, again, I'm going to work off of that target and you then start drawing on Social Security for income and you're going to be drawing income as well off of this money that you have in TIA craft, right?
3: That's my plan.
1: That's your plan this account at TIA Craft right now, do you have any idea how much income you'd be able to generate on a monthly basis and whether or not it's going to be enough when you take into consideration what the after-tax number is going to be?
3: Yeah, I'm going to be able to draw like $4,300 a month.
1: Okay. How much is in the account? I want to see if that estimate is right.
3: 650000
1: If I do the math here, 4300 a month, times 12 over 650,000. So that is about an 8% withdrawal rate. They're saying that your withdrawal rate can be around 8%. That is yep. way, way too high, Dan. So I think, you know, your true amount is going to be somewhere closer to or your safer amount is gonna be somewhere closer to let's say 20 000 to 25,000 a year, which would make it more like 2000 to maybe 2300 or so a month that's about half of what they're projecting. So I'm concerned, number one, with the amount that you're expecting to be able to draw off of it because of the information you've been provided. But then also, as we think about going forward, and starting to draw that money out, you're still going to have to pay taxes on it when it comes out. So even if you can take 20, 000, well, you're gonna have to pay what I don't know, Five, six, seven thousand, depending on what state you're in and your tax bracket, et cetera, and maybe changes to the tax rates. And that's going to further erode how much you end up with. But a better way to get a higher number to get closer to that target is to save more on a monthly basis. And I also want to be sure that you're not putting yourself at risk of losing too much by having as much in stock and real estate as you do versus fixed income. So right now you said 40% stock, 40% real estate, 10% in a fixed or guaranteed fund. Yep. Okay. So you're about 90% exposed to the risk Component of the market between we'll call it stock and real estate fund and only 10% in something more conservative. And as you get closer to retirement, as you're within this five-year window, I think that your allocation needs to be significantly more conservative, more weighted towards bonds, and you don't have any small cap, you don't have any international, you don't have any emerging market commodity exposure or alternatives. So, you're basically, you know, all of your money right now is in three baskets and we typically recommend 10, 12, 15 different baskets. So, having your money extensively diversified. Now, granted, you may not have access to all of those baskets within your plan, but certainly you need to talk to somebody to not not only go through what your income projections are, but also to figure out what is an appropriate asset allocation for you given your retirement time frame. So I think, Dan, you've got to start first with the laying out of the, the plan and what this big picture really looks like to ensure that your numbers are all working out to where they need to be, uh, that you can retire when you want and that your income will be what you want or what you need and then invest according to that goal. So rather than putting the investments first and saying, well, how should I invest that's going to get me to this goal? You have to look at the goals first and then figure out how the investments need to work in alignment with that goal, if that makes sense.
3: I I don't know what those goals are.
1: Right. Well, we got to start somewhere. And maybe your goal is just tell me how long I have to work to get to this amount of money. Well, that's something that a, a qualified financial planner should be able to help you with and say, "Okay, well, here's how we can get to that number. Here's how many years you need to work. Here's how much you need in the pot. Here are the types of returns that we need. Here are the assumptions we have on inflation. And then you can build the investment strategy around that. Okay. So Dan, so if you want to get in touch with somebody, give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK or at rickedelman.com.
3: All right. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Dan. Well, if you're thinking about Social Security and Medicare, you're thinking about how much can I afford to spend when I'm retired? people don't know to ask what they don't know. It's things like withdrawal strategies. How much income can I take from this account versus that account? What are my taxation ramifications going to be? All of this and more. There's just so many. And that's why you should call 888 plan to get a free retirement review and financial plan from an Edelman Financial Engines planner. You'll meet with a fiduciary planner who will give you objective answers to the questions you have about retirement and the ones you didn't even know to ask. Your planner will look at your current investments and tell you how you should be invested for this stage and the next stage of your life. And you'll also get a personal financial plan. And that plan alone is an $800 value and includes your own retirement plan of action, an estimate of your social security benefits, portfolio recommendations, and the next steps you can take for your financial future and for the rest of your life. Give us a call at AAA Plan Rick by 10 p.m. on Tuesday or sign up at EdelmanFinancialEngines.com for your free retirement review and personalized financial plan. You've been listening to The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for sticking around with me today. I'm Isabel Barrow in for Rick. He'll be back next week. We hope you have a happy weekend.
0: Get the truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman Show.